Welcome to the Atlanta Career Journey Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Varnado, and this week's guest is Dorotea Bozicolona-Volpe. She is a citizen of the world, but as a marketing strategist, Dorotea has worked with some of the best-known brands in the world. She's smart, she's energetic, and one of the hardest-working people that I know. She has a very unique background, and I'm happy to have her on the podcast. Welcome, Dorotea. Thank you, Paul. I'm really honored uh, to be spending some time with you today. Thank you. You've been... Um, been an inspiration for me in a lot of ways. Um, you've been uh, just a, a creative force uh, from a brand perspective, uh, personal branding um, consultant, and uh, I've enjoyed working with you over the last few years. So um, just want to get to know you a little bit better on the podcast and um, allow some of my listeners to uh, learn more about your journey. So tell me a little bit about your background. Well, first, I want to compliment you, Paul, because you finally took my bloody advice and started a podcast. So bravo to you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so about my background, let's see. Uh, father was a French Jew, mother was a Roman Catholic Italian model, born in New York, raised in Europe. I think the best part of that is that I got the best of both worlds. I'm a very proud United States citizen. I'm very proud of being an American. Um, but I'm also very in touch with my European roots. Um, I think that I was fortunate in that both of my parents were unable to parent. One reason is death. The other reason is just not interested in parenting. But I was raised by two sets of grandparents, both of which had survived World War II. So my mores and values were a good bit different than, you know, most of my contemporaries. And I really think that having that sort of not just multicultural background, but also I'll call it generational background. You know, they say that their generation was the greatest generation, and I think they say that with purpose. Um, it is really because, you know, I got a chance to, or had the opportunity to not just see things from the eyes of my contemporaries, but also from that of people who had survived great wars. And it allowed me to look at life through various lenses, and, and I, I think I'm, I'm, I'm deeply grateful for that. I think that, you know, a lot of people always throw out the golden rule, treat other people as you want to be treated. I had the opportunity to live that every single day. Both uh, my French grandparents and Italian grandparents had seen some ugliness. And I think that they really believed in, you know, treating people with respect and kindness above all. Yeah. And I also say that my Italian grandfather was a great influence. It's so funny when I look back on my influences, very few of them are women, really. And my Italian grandparents are very interesting. My Italian grandmother was, uh, I'm not joking when I say this, the woman spoke 14 languages fluently, including Greek and Latin. She graduated the University of Napoli with a, a degree in organic chemistry when women weren't going to uni, you know, back in the 40s. And my Italian grandfather was an entrepreneur and he was a viticulturist. He, he made wine. He grew grapes, he made wine, he lived off the land. And I think that they were just an interesting pairing. Um, mm -hmm. Intellectually, they, they really got on well. And you can tell that that was their, their great love of one another was a love that was really built out of mutual respect. And if I dare say it, you know, intellectual curiosity. So I was very lucky to have been raised a majority of, the school year with them. And I think I caught the entrepreneurial bug from my grandfather. He was a bit more socialist um, than most in that he always would take care of the people who worked for him. 
he had a real sense of community. I think that people, yeah, I think that his workers, you know, he would know when somebody was pregnant or when a child was having communion and my grandmother would cook, you know, for, for, you know, kids graduating from kindergarten, let's say, or, uh, you know, uh, you know, a death in the family. And it's funny because we used to joke around because my grandmother was such a great cook. It's quite well known in the community in Brutzi where I grew up that if she was cooking for an event, people would show up that weren't even invited. <laughs> smart. Just, yeah, which is quite cute, you know, but she was just, um, you know, she was one of those people, and I think it was their time, Paul, where they knew how to can food, they knew how to conserve. Mm-hmm. They, my grandfather knew how to repair things. And I think, you know, what's lovely, we live in this modern age, I've got a dear friend, Michael Fuller, who says, I can repair anything. I've got a mobile phone in Google, you know, I can call, yeah. I can call a repairman or a handyman. But you have to understand that back then, you know, people had nothing. After World War II, people were starving. And if you couldn't or didn't have the metal to do for yourself, I mean, I'm going to be very frank here. You know, you starved to death. Yeah. Yeah, there was nobody there to sort of pick things up. And, you know, when you're, when you're out on the farm or in some remote areas, I mean, you have, you have to rely on yourself for just about anything, whether it's mechanical or medical or whatever the case is. It's... Um, it's a very different world we live in today, especially in the U.S. So you've known me for over a decade now. Would you say that I'm fairly self-reliant? Oh, yes. Yes, uh, definitely. Um, you, have, you, have, you take pride in doing things on your own, and um, you, um, I think, appreciate a job well done when you can do it yourself. So that's definitely, yeah. it sounds like a big, your grandparents were very big influences on you, it sounds like. Oh, most definitely. And I think that, I, I think that my greatest gift to the clients I serve, and I know that's, a series of questions that's later on in this interview. But I think my greatest gift to my clients is I help them become self-reliant. I help them understand at core who they are, mm-hmm. to find their passion, and to make money at it. And that's not a bad thing. Well, you have a really good insight into people's talents and their strengths. And I think sometimes, you know, some, some of your clients probably know some of that, but hearing it, you know, played back to them, reinforces some of that and gives them some, some more confidence. Um, Sometimes it's, it's useful just to hear somebody else, but you're, you're very perceptive and you can pick up on things very quickly, I noticed. So. Well, thank um, you. Well, so tell me how you wind up in Atlanta, because that's where you and I met, was at a tag event. Yeah, so that, that's really interesting. So um, if I can go back to, I guess, my first real job, this is not the internships that I had in places like Amsterdam, Berlin, London, Paris. Um, Atlanta's a funny city. And I think if it's okay, I'm not trying to plug it, but I think my TED Talk does a really good job of talking about where I came from and how I got here. Yep, Um, that's a great point. I'll put that in the link when I post this. That would be lovely. I would really appreciate that because I think your listeners would get a kick out of it, if anything else. Yeah, it's very good. I was working as, I guess, first off, I was working for a startup, which is really interesting because I had interviewed at Bain and McKenzie, and McKenzie had offered me a job, and I was like, no way. Um, I, I really... Why is that? I have some very um, opinionated views of McKinsey and the person that I, they sort of, they, they did this thing back then, and this was the 90s, where they would have you mirror or shadow the person. Yeah, shadowing is a better term. Mm-hmm. That you would ultimately would be like the job as an analyst or as a project manager, uh, consultant, you know. And I just felt that the, the gentleman that they, and I use gentleman loosely, um, the person that they put me with was not a very kind person. He was one way in front of the client. And then when he would, we'd leave the client site, he would just, 
really um, speak negatively about the clients and he's going to take advantage of them and everything else. And I thought to myself, wow, if that's the culture here, I don't think I'm going to fit in. Because I always always thought that you teach people, you empower them, you know, you build their muscle. You know, there's no... um, there's no Bible story, and, and forgive me because I'm going back to my Italian grandparents again. My, my Italian grandmother was a very devout Catholic woman. So despite all of her intellectual prowess, she, she had a very strong faith in God. And she used to say, tell the story all the time. When I would struggle with something, she'd say, you know, you, know, you teach a man to fish, right? You know, he can fish for the rest. He can have a meal for the rest of his life, you know. But if you just make somebody dinner... You know, you're only, you know, cooking for them that once and then they're yeah. going to be hungry the next day. You feed them day. for a day, yeah. She, she really instilled in me, learn as much as you can um, and, and try to master some things because at the end of the day, it's only you, right? You've got to fend for yourself. And I think that in my consulting practice, um, and we'll get back to that in a, in a second, your question, that's what I do. I teach people how to do what they need to do. I mean, you're a great example of that. And then they go forth and they thrive. I help them build the muscle. I help empower them. And then I can walk away and sort of consult myself out of a position, which is really what I want. I want to be able to, you know, bless people with the gifts that I have, have them learn, have them take it into their own life and have them apply it and be successful. And then I move on. Of course, I'm always in the picture, obviously, mm-hmm. because they'll have me. But the real thing is to, to empower them. So, so let's get back to how I wound up in Atlanta. Um, I think I can talk about the fact that, and, and it's well known, I was in law enforcement. I worked for a subcontractor to the United States government and other law enforcement municipalities globally as an analyst, um, as somebody who worked on teams to create things like anti-terrorism modeling and you know what you now know is back then in 2001 during the George W. Bush administration as a do not fly list. And I felt very fortunate because I was able to use not just my global um, my global sort of broad uh, worldview, but but also my linguistic capabilities, because we got to work with like the Tokyo Police Department, the Mossad, TDGSI, which was the FBI of France, um, you know, MI6, MI5, and Mm -hmm. KGB. I mean, it was just really unique. And I think the thing that I really enjoyed about that is that I got to sort of apply what my Italian grandparents, you know, taught me. And I I, I know this is a little, little harsh to say this, but my grandfather used to say, if you you ever felt uncomfortable in a room, remember this, everybody in that room bleeds red and pees yellow. You're Mm. just like them. So you shouldn't think that you're, you know, better or worse. You're all equals. And I took that to heart, you know, and I I just felt so incredibly fortunate to work with this company. I was living in Quantico, Virginia. Um, I really enjoyed my life. I got to travel all over the place and we built this is back when there were software systems that were not in the cloud. They were on a, uh, a server. So I'm aging myself a little bit. Um, but it was just, I was sort of at the dawn of, I think, two very interesting things, cloud computing, because it was just starting to become something, and uh, new media, which we now know as social media. Mm-hmm. I came to Atlanta. I was on uh, a program, funnily enough, for crystal methamphetamine sponsored by the Edward J. Byrne Drug Grant, which was a bill that was passed by the United States government. And I was working in one of the, I, I, I don't think I'm allowed to say, so I'll just say it was a Georgia, a state of Georgia law enforcement municipality. Okay. And I came to Atlanta and decided that I was just kind of, I was kind of sick of the food in that one region of Georgia. 
a lot of barbecue, which I quite like. Um, <laughs> a lot of like, you know, southern fried chicken and biscuits and that kind of thing. And that just wasn't something that my palate was used to. And I really, really wanted to have just some decent French cafe, bistro, you know, nothing really, you know, over the top food. And one of the law enforcement uh, officials that I work with, I remember he was a, a chief of police of that city. He said, well, my wife and I, and his cute Southern accent, we went down to Atlanta and he said there was this restaurant that they found in the Highlands and he shared with me it wasn't a very safe place to go because this was the early 90s. And it was called Cafe Diem. And uh, that's where I met George. And so, so that's, yeah. yeah. So that's how you wound up in Atlanta. That's awesome. Yeah, and I think the TED Talk does a better job of, you know, <laughs> giving, filling in the, filling in the, the, the put, coloring it, right? Filling in the line, so to speak. So I'll leave that for your audience to go and find out. But All right. I, I think it was just a very unique meeting of two very unique people. And I was not, and he was not going to let me go. So yeah. I, moved here. I moved here for him. You know, that's, that, that tends to be a lot of how those decisions are made is for a significant other, either for a school or work or otherwise. So Indeed. Yeah. And so you asked how we met. Um, let me get to that. So this had to be, again, almost a decade, maybe more ago. Yeah. Uh, Tino Mantella, who is the former director of uh, the Technology Association of Georgia, had tapped me to speak to several special interest groups. And I had given, I think it was a webinar. And the head of the special interest group for product marketing said, I would love for you to come and talk to marketers who spend their entire you know, careers marketing products, services, and solutions for the brands that they work for. Um, but I know you, know you could help us understand this whole personal brand thing. So this was almost about 11, 12 years ago, if I remember correctly, I did the webinar. Tino said he got very positive feedback on the surveys. Would you come and speak to some special interest groups? Mm -hmm. And I remember you were through your work, I believe it was at Equifax, one of the product marketer professionals. Well, and I was actually invited there because I was on the board of the product management society for TAG. And right. we needed somebody from each of the societies to be there and to understand how to market those societies a little bit better. How do we leverage some of the social media aspects? And so that was, that was how um, I was invited to that. And I can't remember where it was, but it was in person. And uh, it was a very, it was a very thought provoking discussion. And I think you have a, a very unique way of presenting things that you kind of cut through some of the crap and get to the real meat of things. And um, it was refreshing to hear that. Well, thank you. I take that as a compliment. I'm, I'm really humbled because, you know, sometimes I, I do those talks and this one was very specific to product marketers. Um, and I'll just say marketers and entrepreneurs in general, you know, they're extremely brave people and, and they have to take on a lot with very little mm -hmm. to move the needle. And I kept saying this, I said, you know, you guys spend so much time working in your business that you don't know how to work on you, you know, that you're it's a true. brand. And whether you work for a big corporation, like at the time you worked for Equifax, pretty big corporation, wouldn't you agree? Mm -hmm. um, you have to understand that everything that you do content-wise, what you post, how you communicate with your up and down and across, you know, functions in your organization, that gets judged what your LinkedIn looks like, you know, what content you put out there, if you give an interview, all of that. And it can either help further your career or if you don't do anything, 
It could be the reason why maybe you get passed up for a promotion. And I remember yeah. saying something in that room that a, a lot of the men kind of, I, I, rem, I remember it was about the second to last slide. There's a very interesting group of people. And I remember exactly where it was. It was at the Technology Association of Georgia's uh, offices on the sixth floor of ATDC. And it was like not too far, as you know, from the Georgia Tech campus. And it was right. in a long conference room. And if you remember correctly, they had me at the very end uh, of the table. And I do I remember a, that. Yeah. And I had a screen behind me. And I remember we got to the point just before we were asking questions. And, and I, I looked into the room. And, and I, I would have to say, to Tag's credit, it was a very diverse group of people. Um, I saw, you know, people in their 20s all the way to their 50s. I saw people who were black, white, Latin. There were women in the room of all different ages and men of all different extractions, so on and so forth. And I remember saying something along the lines, and I think that this is probably why, you know, to your credit, Paul, you, Julia does a very good job with you because you, you actually approached me after you weren't, most of the men were intimidated after I said this. <laughs> I said, you know, men have absolutely no problem with talking about the things that they have accomplished, good or bad. I said, why is it that this room is made up almost, or at the time was almost 50% female? I said, yet, but when I take on female clients or when I talk at events like this, you don't raise your hand. You don't want to talk about, you know, what you've done that was successful. Because as women, we're taught to remain silent and, you know, only bring it up when we're, when it's brought up in conversation, when we're spoken to. And I said, that needs to end now. I've got a lot of women who came and, you know, patted me on the back and gave me their numbers and so on and so forth. But you were one of the few men who approached me afterwards and said, you know, I've got, I've got daughters and I really liked what you said at the end. And I think that's how you and I really connected. Yeah, that and skateboarding. Yeah, of course. <laughs> you didn't want to do a video with me today, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bloody sad about that because I'm sitting in my office now with my massive skateboard wall, and it would have been cool. But maybe next time when you decide we, to do a, a We video. will do a skateboard podcast next time. Indeed, sure. of course. Yes. People always find it really odd when they go to my Instagram channel, and I'm going to plug it really quickly. It's at social espionage. When they find out that I'm a grown woman that still likes to thrash, it's quite... Mm -hmm interesting you know, like, why the hell does she do that that's a very dangerous sport and I, thought, I say to people getting in your car or jumping on a plane you know getting on a plane to go places is dangerous as well i'm allowed to control what yeah. i do on the back of that deck so well speaking of what you do let's talk a little bit about that so social espionage is your um your brand your website um but it's hard to really explain um exactly what all you do so um for the listeners, tell us a little bit about what that involves. Uh, yes, I am the principal of Social Espionage. We are a marketing strategy firm where I am of the helm, but I work with a myriad of people, uh, some of which are full-time employees of mine, some are contractors. Um, I sort of create the recipe of what's needed based on my clients' needs. Uh, the company really started when I was in law enforcement. I had an assignment. My last assignment was in Haiti. And I won't bore you with that because it was with the United Nations and it was a very, uh, I'll say, challenging project. And yes. I had decided that, you know, while I was there, I guess you could say I had an epiphany and I caught the entrepreneurial bug and I'd been doing little new media and website and, you know, e-commerce type projects sort of as a, as a side hustle is what they call it now. But back mm -hmm. then we call it moonlighting. Of course, yes. I myself, we call it yeah. moonlighting. Yes. 
and and I filed for you know the name rights and everything else probably beginning of the 2000s and the company was born and I was very fortunate in that a few of the people that I had done these little side hustles with were working at places like United Parcel Service and CNN and Coca-Cola and they would bring me in to do these things called, you know, they would always say, can I pick your brain? Can I pick your brain? Right. And that's how my pick my brain session started, Paul, the one that you did, you know? Yeah. Yeah. People always ask me like, how did you get that name? That's such great branding. And I said, of course, you can pick my brain and, and <laughs> I will do that. And that's, and that literally is how I branded, you know, that first session. Um, getting back to what we do. So I, I specialize in marketing strategy. Sometimes what comes out of that is a product sometimes a new service, a new solution. But what we're really good at is that we base all of our strategies on, on really solid research and we help create revenue where revenue didn't exist. And I'm, you know, I tell this to people all the time. When I look back on it, my company survived a tremendous recession in 2008. I mean, I remember thinking when I was at Ogilvy, because Ogilvy was one of the big sort of, they're the ones who got Dorotea very quickly and, they hired me on as a contractor and then I became a full-time employee. Um, they knew that I knew something about new media that was different than the way other people were approaching it. And it was very centered on being human. Um, and, and when I look back now, you know, some 16 years on, maybe a little bit longer if you really think about it, because I stayed in law enforcement for a little bit longer. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think that the, the, the reason why my business has survived is because I go back at core to my four E's, which you've heard me describe these before, but I'm going to describe them for your listeners. Sure. It's really important that the first E you engage people and you do it in an authentic way. And a lot of that comes from listening, sociotechnography, really good data science and research and understanding really who your customer is. And then secondly, educating them the reason why people always get no's and you and I know this uh, because we've been in marketing and sales for quite some time because they just don't understand all the information. So it's really important that you, when you reach out that you're educating them on the channel with which that they want to be educated and the way that they want to be educated. You know, you put 50 people in a room and a good large portion of them might say a large portion of them might say, you know, I like to learn visually. That's how I learn. Other people might prefer to read. Other people might, prefer to listen to mm -hmm. a podcast and that's how they, you know, are able to intake information and then understand what to do with it and, 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 and what have you. Uh, third, that 30 is an interesting one, entertain. I feel that, you know, it's my goal to make sure that when I work with a company that they understand that people do like to be entertained. They like to laugh. They like to cry. They like to, you know, feel in some way, shape or form moved by the content that you put out there, good, bad or indifferent, right? Yeah. And finally, you know, and I'm going to talk about one of my clients who I, I just absolutely adore in a minute uh, about the fifth E. But finally, that the, th the fourth E is emote. And, and when I say emote, I think it's very important that we realize that your, your mission is to be able to get someone, someone's interest. And by being human, right? I mean, yeah. if you think about those ads that you watch or those what I call parking garage moments when you're listening to a favorite song, it's the emotion that's attached to it. It's the emotion that's attached to the story. 
I'm an avid radio listener to I love news talk radio and I'm a big fan of like NPR and I also listen to some conservative shows. Um, you know, I like to be as well balanced and as well informed as I can. Yeah. What I find is that those stories that are emotionally appealing to me tend to be the ones that resonate the most. They're the ones I remember. And I'll give you an example. I follow a guy named Brian Solis, and you've heard me talk about Brian. I'm a huge fan, and I've, I'm really humbled and honored that he's also a friend. You know, I noticed that he does put out a lot of, you know, information about his work, as we all do. But every now and again, he'll put a post up, and he did one today of a, a young lady, a young girl, actually. I think she's maybe a little bit less than seven years old, Paul, who had cerebral palsy. And she finally got to a point where they could teach her to walk upstairs, now, I got to tell you, I watched that video. There wasn't a dry eye, <laughs> yeah. you know, and, and I think that it's important to realize that we're all human. I think that the emote piece is really to understand how the human brand wins, right? And then, and then finally, I'm going to use a fifth E, but it's one that my client brought to me. So I had been working with her and her company, and I don't know if I'm allowed to, to, to talk about it because I'm under NDA, but let's say she's a European-based brand. And I've been working with her and her company. I really... You know, I love my entrepreneurs, but I have to say that I love my female entrepreneurs, uh, maybe a tad more, because I know what they go through being a, a, a special a connection to them, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, special connection. And she said something. She goes, I have a fifth E for you. It's something that you do. And I said, What's that? She goes, Empower. Yeah. You've empowered us to think. You've empowered us to, to do something different, you know. You've empowered us to learn something or look at something in a different way then maybe perhaps we hadn't. And, yeah. and I really want to thank you for that because I think it's really important, you know. And I wanted to make sure I went on record for that one, Paul, because I think <laughs> it's really important. And it's her E. She gave it to me. Yeah. So thank you. She'll know who she is when she listens to this. She'll know exactly that I'm talking about her. Yeah. But I, just think, I just think it's really interesting. And it's funny that those are the E's that have kind of kept my, um, my business going. That's great. And I think that's certainly transferable to almost anything that you do. And I think it's, um, it's, it's nice and succinct that you can remember those and continue to follow those throughout you know, any sort of um, place in your career. So, and I like the fifth E that definitely certainly resonates. I've got two daughters and obviously, you know, you know, Julia. And I think for women, it's, they're still, they're still finding their way. Um, and, you know, what's traditionally been a male dominated, you know, world and, and business and, you know, when you start things up on your own, um, it can be challenging. It can be intimidating. But I really love the generation that I've seen my kids grow up around, um, uh, or really my kids' generation, I meant, is uh, they're not as, um, I guess, afraid to step out and do new things. Um, I think it's a little more accepted. And um, I really love seeing, you know, some of the efforts, you know, from, you know, the the STEM and, you know, some of the technology uh, programs about getting, you know, girls learning how to code and, and getting them more involved in math and science all the way through to like WIT and some of the other, you know, ones for, for professionals to still be aligned with. And I think that's great to see. And it's, it's nice to have my daughters with that opportunity that maybe my generation or my parents' generation didn't necessarily have. So I think that's great that, you know, your clients have recognized that and you've been able to empower them to do some of those things. It's great. Yeah. And, and you know what I'll say is that, you know, when I give a lot of talks now, um, workshops and keynotes and things of that nature, 
what I start out with is that, you know, 52% of the global workforce now is women. Think about that. Yeah. Yeah. And there's still a long way to go in terms of opportunity on, you know, leadership, management, board seats, et cetera. But it's, um, the, dan- the dynamic is changing and um, it's, it's for a good thing. I think diversity is incredible for your product, whatever you're selling, whatever your company uh, does, whether it's a service or uh, um, um, any sort of consulting. I mean, if you have more diversification, you have better insight to what your customers are actually thinking and how they consume your products. So um, it's always a good thing. Yeah, that, I think that, that it's, it's, it's the thing that I like most about my, my vocation, about my job. You know, I love the people that I work with. I'm extremely blessed. And I say that over and over again because I have been honored and humbled by the fact that they consistently hire me back. Um, the work is always very interesting. It's always very challenging. And you're now in the time of COVID. Everything has been scaled back dramatically so they do want to go in a direction where, to as I Afa mentioned earlier, I'm helping them build the muscle. I'm helping them learn something, so they don't have to depend upon somebody else to fish for them, right? Yeah. They're yep. themselves, and I think because I provide that service, they keep calling and 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 you know asking for my counsel and that kind of thing. And I think I'm incredibly, and I don't think I know, I'm extremely lucky and blessed. Um, so yeah, that's, that's great. And, and, you know, just kind of build on that, you know, one of the things I like to ask these guests is, you know, what do you like most about your job? I mean, you described some of it, but how would you summarize what you enjoy about your job? Yeah. Um, and I, I just, I think I just did. <laughs> <laughs> it's, you know, I, cause I, we were going to talk a little bit about your volunteering activities and I think just you provide a service at a, you know, certainly at a professional level and at a personal level, but then you volunteer your time in a number of ways. It seems like every time we're trying to schedule a time to chat about whatever you've got, you know, I've got a 15 minute window because then I'm off to do some other volunteer thing. So tell me a little bit about your volunteering and what you do outside of social espionage. Oh yeah, sure. So um, I think it came out of mourning really. So when I lost George, um, one of the things that I, I really I think, I think I really had to take heart of what I was grateful for. And, and it was funny because I saw, I think I was reading some books on mourning and on, you know, losing somebody the way that I did him. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that they kept saying that would be very, you know, good for you is to keep a gratitude journal. So, you know, every year I, I start up a, in January, you know, a journal that I can write, you know, I wouldn't say they're called daily affirmations. They're they're things that are not the grocery list. Let's put it that way. And it's not a to-do list. It's more of the things that I'm extremely grateful for and humbled by every day. And it's something, it could be something that I've seen, like, you know, somebody sneezing in public and someone saying, you know, God bless you. Mm -hmm. things. And I had already had a relationship in the food world through my work um, as a member of the James Beard Foundation an organization that was started by James Beard, who, by the way, was Julia Child's bestie, to help bring uh, food and education um, and so on and so forth to, um, you know, to the masses, uh, but predominantly to help those 
uh, further the education and further the the slow food movement. And um, for instance, when 9-11 hit, the James Beard Foundation was a big contributor to helping people who'd worked in the restaurant industry in New York City to be able to pay their bills, you know, and their rent. Um, so through that, I worked at the Atlanta Community Food Bank, and I still do as a volunteer. I get a lot out of that because I work with young boys and girls and faith-based organizations in food distribution. There's nothing like learning about, you know, where your food comes from and how it's made and how it's prepared that really helps educate children on not just leading a healthy lifestyle, but also gratitude. Um, I also work with a group that I'm, I'm just so over the moon about, and you hear me brag about them all the time. They're an Atlanta-based nonprofit called Steam Sport, and their mission and I'm very proud to say that I've been working for them as a volunteer now for about a handful of years, now more than I did in the past. But their mission is really to bring STEM, science, technology, engineering, and mathematics, to kids in areas where those opportunities don't really exist. Um, and I'll add on to that. The reason why they're called STEAM Sport is because they also do um, animation, motion graphics, robotics, they have a, a media uh, courses that they teach, you know, young kids how to do fashion design using computers and things of that nature. And that's I think right. that's so fascinating about that to me is that, Paul, these kids are between the ages of like seven and eight years old and like 13, 14. And yeah. next week, which is a really, this is very timely. I know that this podcast may not be coming out this, this coming week, but beginning tomorrow, we're we're starting hashtag support for steam sport and it's spelled exactly like it sounds S U P P O R T the number four S T E A M sport. Um, and we're doing something called six for six So for the following six days, we're going to be asking people to give $6 and then connect with six of their friends so that ultimately, you know, you get a donation that's, uh, uh around $42 or what have you. Um, Again, so anybody can give $6 because, you know, that's the cost of a latte or a cappuccino or something at Starbucks. I mean, we all do that. And I think the thing that I really like about STEAM Sport is their focus is predominantly in communities where, you know, you don't have charter schools. You don't have somebody teaching science or technology or engineering and mathematics. And these after-school programs and during the day, during the, the summer when everybody was at home for COVID, Parents love the fact that their kids could just tune in online. Yeah. And it's in areas of the city of Atlanta that young African-American boys and girls and Latino and, and uh, others don't have access to these type of programs. So, yeah, I'm a huge fan. Their, their executive director, William Oliver, uh, was kind enough to tap me when I met him, funnily enough, at a TAG event, Technology Association of Georgia, <laughs> when they were awarded a small grant from TAG, thanks to Tino Mantella. That's a, that's a great group. It's a, a great foundation and um, doing some really good things for the community. So that's, that's great. And love that we were able to plug that for, um, for the listeners. Um, you. So you mentioned COVID. So lots changed in 2020, hasn't it? Almost um, definitely. <laughs> you, you've been a world traveler for a long time and you have been grounded for a while. So how, is, how has COVID changed social espionage and what you're doing with branding? Yeah, so um, just to clarify, we don't just do branding. Obviously, marketing strategy is at the core of our business. Branding is just one aspect. Um, but you're right. You know, I've got clients in four time zones, actually five. Mm -hmm. Yeah, five time zones. 
And, um, and that concludes the, the three in the United States. And I was literally flying to and being a part of teams and things of that nature, something I really enjoy doing. Uh, my niece, Leticia, will say to you that, you know, I'm happiest when I'm packing to go someplace, <laughs> living out of a suitcase. Also, if the four horsemen of the apocalypse come, if you could just find Dorothea and her two red bags uh, that I live out of, uh, you'll probably live for weeks happily because, you know, my whole life, my whole life is kind of packed into those two red suitcases. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I'll say this. I'm very fortunate that I'm still amongst us. Um, I've had a lot of personal loss due to coronavirus. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't want to get on any kind of political uh, soapbox about mask wearing or anything like that. What I'll say is that what I think is going to come out of all of this because I always believe that when something like this happens, you know, you, you, we heard this when we were kids, you know, when one door closes, another one opens. Right. I think that a lot of doors have been closing. And what I'm seeing is a little cracked window here or a little open door or, a, you know, cabinet door over there. New ideas and new businesses are coming out of COVID-19. I read the other day about two young entrepreneurs here in the state of Georgia who are allowing citizens just like you and I to go to an app and buy food, uh, dinner, lunch, breakfast, what have you, to first responders and get it delivered, kind of Uber style, Uber Eats style. They use some of those mechanisms. And I thought, what a great idea for an app, you know, and how cool that that business was bought out of this. Yeah. I have clients who've taken this time to take stock. And, and I've got one client who, who took uh, and got her yoga certification. It was something she always wanted to do because business was a good bit slower for her. She was able to do that. Um, and I think that what, you know, what we're all going to have to learn to do is that we really need to, if we weren't already doing it, because obviously living out of two suitcases, I have clients and, you know, the six time zones, I did a lot of working virtually from an Airbnb in Paris, from, you know, a hotel room in Los Angeles, California, but I'm still talking to somebody in London. I mean, you know, I got very used to virtual work, you know, right. working virtually and at, at odd hours, because, you know, I'm not much of a sleeper. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's really interesting that I've really had to hone those skills even more. Um, but also working remotely, you know, does have its challenges. You don't always have the best Wi-Fi when you're in the south of France, right? You yeah. don't always maybe have a quiet background if you're giving an interview or you're part of a, a, a let's say, a group uh, agency pitch because they brought me in as a subject matter expert in, in a certain area and, you know, I'm someplace that they are not. I'm not in the same room. Um, I also feel that like the recession in 2008, you know, when we look back on this, we're going to look back and think, you know, I'm glad that that was something that was temporary. Because I really do believe that our world leaders are going to find a solution. And I, I mean, we have to believe that they're going to come up with a vaccine and they're going to come up with it soon because it's affected me so dramatically. I, I can't think of anything other than to look forward and to be yeah. positive, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I think until there's actually a vaccine, um, that the travel will be not to the level that it was before. Um, but I think it, to your point, it's, opening up other other doors and other ways to work that maybe never would have been embraced. Uh, you and I have talked before about some of the some of the clients I've worked with and they're from that traditional hierarchical 
leadership style where you've got to be in a seat. I got to see you to know that you're working. And even in the software development world where you've got this agile transformation happening in a lot of places where um, you, co-location is key, but you've got offshore models that, you know, you can't possibly get everybody in the same room at the same time in the same time zone. And so having to sort of stretch um, creatively and figure out how to work remotely. And so there was a culture clash going on in several of the companies that I'd come from. And now they've all had to just forced to be able to manage remotely. And the people that were really hesitant to do that, you know, in say 2019 are really seeing the benefits of what that looks like in 2020. So yeah, I think there's, there's definitely a shift happening. Um, I think that companies are going to get better and they're going to realize there's probably, you know, a balance somewhere because you can never really replace a face-to-face, you know, discussion, relationship building and, you know, some sales models. There's a lot of things that you really can't replace. Um, We're making do uh, with that now, but I think there will be always a need to have a face-to-face communication. It just might be more of a hybrid than all one or the other. Right, right. And I I completely agree with you, and I'm just going to add something to that. Um, Thanks to video conferencing. Oh, my word. Zoom has become, you know, part of the culture and language, you know, Google Meet, Skype, yeah. uh, um, Teams and Slack. Teams and, and Slack and everything. Yeah. I mean, you know, this is the way that we're working. And I think that good that we live in an age where these technologies exist. I'm so deeply grateful because it gives you the opportunity to look in somebody's eyes and, and see their facial expression when you're speaking to them, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think you have to be um, a little more intentional about... Mm-hmm communication across a camera. Not everybody is comfortable when your blue or green light pops on and, you know, you're talking to the top of your laptop rather than to somebody sitting across the table from you. So you have to figure out, are they nervous? Are they just not used to talking to a computer? Is there something behind that when you're trying to pitch something? Um, so it does, it does open up, um, you know, sort of that, that different layer of how do we sort of read that room a little differently. And from a a networking perspective, you know, we have to be a little more intentional about reaching out to people, but I think it's, it's not just one person going through it. It's everybody. So I think people are much more, um, I guess, flexible and mm-hmm. a little bit um, more accommodating when a request comes in like that. I remember, I just thinking last year, you know, when people would call from, you know, they, they, they jump into a call from home and you hear dogs barking in the background and you're just thinking, Oh my gosh, can't you just go into the office or manage that a little differently when, when there was an option to do that. But now that we're all, you know, for those of us that are working remotely um, it's, it's just part of part of the business, you know, doorbell rings or, you know, one of their, their children come into the room. It's kind of a funny little break and we all sort of embrace it rather than judge people for it, you know? So yeah, that goes back to what I said earlier. It's really important that we're human. And now yeah. we get entertained by those kind of things when a baby screams for mommy or we're watching yeah. something like a, a, you know, a, a journalist speak in an interview and all of a sudden their four-year-old decides to get into the camera. <laughs> it's really quite cute. That was classic. You know, being human. And I do want to add, tack one other thing onto that. One of my clients on the personal branding side, Kumar Mehta, wrote a really great piece on the isolation economy uh, in Forbes, and I do want to encourage your readers to to read that. It was an mm-hmm. article that ran in Forbes, probably just as the, the the coronavirus epidemic was the cause of the United States closing down. 
And he talks very importantly, you know, that we're moving away from the sharing economy and more into the isolation economy. And, and he, you know, he references a lot of what you just aforementioned, Paul, that we're becoming more interested in, in each other. And, you know, and again, if, if that's the thing that comes out of COVID, that we have more, we become more, better communicators and more community-minded, mm-hmm. I, for, I, for one, wouldn't mind for that to be a permanent, you know, uh, attribute or, let's say, um, a hangover or a byproduct. That's the word I was looking for. Sorry, I was thinking about it in Italian. I had to say it in English. <laughs> um, you know, if that's a byproduct of all of this, that we become more community-minded, that we become more sensitive to others, I'm okay with that. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a really that's a really great point. And I think that uh, hopefully we can all remember that because sometimes you have short memory and, you know, you can kind of jump back into that old that old habit again. But I think if we can, you know, sort of remember, you know, the humanity part, I mean, obviously this is a, this has been a tough year for a lot of people. A lot of folks have lost their jobs. Um, you've lost a lot of family members. I've lost some family members. I mean, it's just, there's just, um, there's a lot that people have had to deal with this year. And so um, I'm hoping at a, at a human level, we give each other a little more grace and a little bit more, uh, you know, um, freedom to, you know, make mistakes and, you know, just show that human side of things. So, yeah. So um, you've, you've had a, a pretty amazing career. Um, I always like to ask um, these guests, you know, what advice would you give to a younger, your younger self? You know, if you had to uh, talk to yourself when you were in school or when you're first starting a job or, you know, some level of work-life balance, anything that you would um, offer up that, that our listeners might be interested in? Well, you know, I don't really believe in work-life balance. You know me personally. <laughs> Um, yes, I, I do know that. Have we met? You know? Yes. Uh-huh. Yep. <laughs> uh, I don't think there's any such thing. And I kind of laugh when people start talking about that. I think that's ridiculous. And I'll tell you why. If you're really passionate, you really love what you do. It's not work. Right. And that's, that's right. A, yeah, that's a magic formula right there. Yeah. And, and I think if, if I had to say anything to my younger self, um, it's more personal than professional. It would just be that I, I, I wished. I'd taken better stock in what I had with George. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's, um, that's, that's a real struggle when you lose somebody that's important to you, um, that you, you take, you take your time for granted and it's, um, you think it's going to be there forever, and when it's not, it really is a, just a blow. So I, I'm sorry that you've lost um, that that person in your life, and you know it's um, it's it's really difficult to get through that. I know. I think that you know, he's the reason I started this business. Everything that happened was the catalyst for this. Mm. And whether you believe in a higher power, or whatever, it's none of my business. I, I just feel like he's somewhere in the ether of my life, pushing me forward. Yeah. So I just tell people, you know, when they say, oh, work-life balance, work-life balance, I'm a woman and I have it all. I can raise children and have a career and this and that. Well, good on you. Yeah. That's wonderful. There are a great number of people who cannot. Yeah. And that's why if I did have any advice for my younger self outside of what I've shared, it would be, you know, find what you love and do it as quickly as you can. 
Mm-hmm. And you hold on to that. You hold on to that to your last breath. Because if you don't enjoy what you're doing, why are you doing it? Don't live this life for anybody but yourself. It sounds selfish, I know. No, it's great. It's great advice. And I think it's, it's a path to, you know, if you find something that you enjoy, that you're passionate about, or even that drives your curiosity, um, it doesn't feel like work, you know, and, and I've, I've had jobs that I wasn't crazy about. You've had jobs that you weren't crazy about. And then you've had jobs that you absolutely love. And boy, the days go by very quick and it's, you know, you, it's rewarding. You know, you, you feel better about yourself and what you're doing. I mean, there's a lot of things about it. And, you know, if you're in a, a job that you're not necessarily happy about, but it's getting you to a place that you want to be, then, you know, that's a sacrifice that's good. But if it's not leading you somewhere, then you need to take stock of where you are and where you're going. I agree. Yeah. yeah. Very well put, Paul. Um, I don't mean to be rude, but as usual, I have gone past my time with you, although <laughs> I've really enjoyed it. And I, I really do appreciate your generosity in just extending the kind invitation to me, to be, you know, for me to be you know, a part of your podcast. Um, I'm excited to, to listen to it when it's all you know, said and done. Well, you know, you and I have talked a year ago about some of the ideas around this. And so um, it was just natural for you to be one of my first guests to, to talk through your journey and, um, you know, just to have the listeners hear a little bit about what you do. So thank you for your time. I really appreciate you going over. And uh, I think this is going to be uh, great for our listeners. Thanks again, Dorothy. I appreciate your time. Oh, you're very welcome. And, and again, to all of your listeners, I hope that they stay safe and they stay healthy. Well put. All right. Thank you. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.